Today's guest on the Horny Deer Sense podcast is a gentleman by the name of Jason Coker. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it probably should. He's actually the first person to wear fully functional bionic arms after tragically losing his. Uh, it's a, an incredible conversation. I'm excited to get into it. I don't want to give away too many details because obviously we get into this story. Uh, do you want to circle back? So those of you that, that listen to the podcast know that I haven't been turkey hunting that long, just the last uh, three or four years. Had probably the most, I guess, roller coaster of emotions involved in turkey hunting this past weekend. We go out Saturday, me and my cousin Kobe, and I missed an opportunity on just the biggest bird I've ever seen. And, uh, yeah, which was, it was exciting because, you know, we go in and I guess that's the thing about turkey hunting. You don't have to walk away with a bird to, you know, feel pretty good about it, but had a plan in place. We went in and, uh, everything come together except making the shot. So feeling pretty low Saturday, get up Sunday and we've had some, just some terrible storm systems going through uh, this area. And uh, get in, get in the ground, ground blind, anticipating some bad weather. Uh, didn't realize how bad it was going to get. At some point, I was wishing I'd stayed in bed. But sitting there drinking a cup of coffee, waiting for the the storm to pass, and all of a sudden, I got two gobblers uh, checking out my decoys, and uh, they lined up. I got off one shot. Uh, racked another one was about to uh, shoot at the other one but they both fell on that first shot and it was just just an incredible experience and uh i mean it's monday morning i just want to talk about it so uh without further ado though let's get into jason's story uh i'll say it's probably good listening to his story on a Monday uh, because after hearing it, you're going to feel like crap forever complaining about anything. So here we go. Hope you enjoy it. Jason Coger. Welcome to the Horny Deer Sense podcast. I'm your host, founder of Horny Deer Sense, Scott Pratt. In this podcast, we connect with personalities across the outdoors, sharing hunting tips, reliving old hunting memories, and discussing life in general. Our goal as a podcast and as a company is to bring new hunters into this great lifestyle and to help keep the ones that we've got. So settle in, hang out with us for a little while on the Horny Deer Sense Podcast. Jason Coger. Welcome to the Horny Deer Sense Podcast. Thank you. It's uh, I gotta be honest, and I've I've looked forward to really every conversation that I've set up, but it's not every day that you get to connect with the man that wore the first pair of bionic arms. <laughs> that's right, and you know, uh, really, there's probably not very many people out there that's lost two arms anyway. Um, you know, I, I've tried to do some research and try to figure that out. And as close as I can get, there might be, I don't know, a couple thousand people in the whole entire world that's lost, um, you know, two upper limbs. Uh, you see a lot of lower limbs, a lot of bilateral lowers or single lower. Um, most of the time when you see an upper amputee, it's more than likely trauma. Um, a lot, you know, there's a very small percentage that, that's cancer. 
And then there's a small percentage. Well, I wouldn't say it's a small percentage. I'd say if they're wearing prosthetics, uh, they probably weren't born without. There's a lot of people that's born without, you know, yeah. uh, upper limbs. But, yeah, most of it's trauma uh, whenever you see somebody lost two upper limbs or one even at that matter. So. Yeah, and your story, uh, I remember the headline, but – I don't remember reading, like clicking onto the headline. I remember seeing the headline when all that was going on, but I didn't really dive into it. So for you, before we get into the actual story and everything that transpired to bring you to where you are now, what did life, when life was normal, let's say that, what did life look like? Where are you from? Where are you at now? What, what was life before this life changing incident? So uh, I'm from Owensboro, Kentucky, actually right outside of Owensboro. It's uh, called Utica, Kentucky, and uh, which is western Kentucky. I'm about two hours from Nashville, two hours from Paducah, and two hours from Louisville, Kentucky. So um, I'm right on the Ohio River, right next to Evansville, Indiana. Um, my dad started a construction company in 1984, and uh, man, I was born in 79, so you know, I probably went to work for him at, at the age of four <laughs> and uh, worked with him my entire life. So we, uh, so I've always been in the construction field. Uh, he was a union uh, plumber pipe fitter. So I got in the union and uh, became a plumber pipe fitter. And, uh, you know, right before my accident, I actually, I went to college. I graduated with an ag engineering degree in Murray State University. Uh, came home and uh, got married. I'm, I'm married to uh, a girl named Jenny. Uh, it was Jenny Darty at the time, Jenny Coger now. And um, we have three children. We have a uh, 21 month, well, hang on. That's my story. My <laughs> oldest now is 14, 13, and nine. So I got two girls and, uh, and a little boy. Nice. They, um, uh, so, you know, I mean, it was, I, I feel like my life was just like anybody else's, you know, just go to work every morning, come home and do the family stuff. Uh, you know, just kind of like a, a normal American family. So the area that you mentioned kind of out there, I guess it's pretty close to land between the lakes, that, that joint area out there. Yeah, about two hours from there, yeah. Okay, so knowing that, I'm guessing, especially with Bruce Swearingen connecting us, you know, Bruce Swearingen of Forest Wildlife, outdoors probably played a pretty big, pretty big part in your life at that time. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, you know, my dad never did hunt. Uh, but my great uncle, he always hunted and, uh, he had a farm in Muhlenberg County. And, uh, so anyway, my, my great uncle, when I was, I don't know, probably 10, 11 years old, you know, somewhere around there, I'd say he called one time, wanted me to go hunting with him. Um, and obviously it was whitetail deer. And I was like, yeah, I always wanted to go. And, uh, so my great uncle is basically the one that got me started. I, I remember the, the first deer that I ever killed. It was actually uh, raining that morning, and we were sitting in a uh, in a skid steer. And, oh, really? uh, yeah, trying try to stay dry. How old were you at this time? Uh, I was probably about nine or ten, I'd say. In a skid steer. Yeah, we that's awesome. With, yeah, with a cab, you know, because it was raining. Yeah. And, uh, and anyway, a doe had walked out, and uh, and that's all we seen was one doe. To be honest with you. And, uh, so anyway, he talked me into, all right, we're going to shoot this deer. And I pulled up, it was a rifle, uh, pulled up, it's 30-30. Pulled up, shot, and man, there, that deer ran like crazy. And I thought, <laughs> man, I must have missed him. And, 
And he goes, man, I thought you hit him. I said, well, he just ran. I just watched him run. And so um, anyway, long and short, we went down there to see if we found some blood. And uh, and there was two deer laying down there. I guess I shot through one and hit two of them. They were standing side by side. Oh, well, so you got your first two deer in one shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so never talking about talking about odds as far as like bionic limbs, I'd say that one – I wouldn't say comparable, but I would say that the odds are there's not a lot of people kill their first two deer with one shot either. That's right. I was very lucky, man. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. Um, but then, man, I, you know, I got passionate about it, and um, uh, I was lucky that somebody took me outdoors, man. I probably wouldn't be doing it, you know, because my dad just was so busy. My dad, my dad never really got into hunting at all, and uh, I absolutely loved loved hunting whitetail and. I feel like, you know, I feel like I remember when they introduced turkey in Kentucky. I feel like, you know, we didn't have very many turkey. And and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, they released some. And whenever hunting got good for turkey, obviously I got into that. And I love, I love turkey hunting now. And all yeah. they'll come, come, you know. And I mean, there's, I like to kill stuff, man. I, you know, I'm, I'm a killer. Absolutely. Well, and you 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 said something you know about your uh, your uncle taking you hunting. You, you're so glad that he did because you might not have had that exposure. I wish everybody would aspire to be that, like be somebody's recollection of why they got into this sport. Like, yeah, I can't think of a better thing to be tied to than introducing somebody to this lifestyle because there really is a domino effect, you know. Absolutely. But, um, you know, it, it's interesting too. My my great uncle, uh, you know, he started hunting on his own, basically taught himself. And I remember him telling me a story, which you know he's not here today. Uh, he passed away several years ago, but I remember him telling me a story. He had this buck on the wall, and he might have been a, I don't know, hundred and thirty, forty inch deer. You know, big old ten pointer. And but back when he killed that man, there wasn't very many deer around here. You know, it just oh, wasn't. Yeah. You know, it's just like. I mean, somebody to see a deer with antlers was, you know, pretty dang good. And he seen it out of his front window, basically yeah. up on top of this hill. I, I take you back exactly where he said he shot it at. And he said that he seen it and he was like, is that a deer? And like, couldn't even believe he even seen a deer, you know? And, right. Uh, so anyway, he shot it and killed it. And uh, I'll never forget that deer being on the wall. And, you know, I got a lot of stories from my great uncle, just, you know, spending night with him and going hunting with him and, uh, waking up in the morning and, you know, my, my great aunt or his wife, uh, would cook us a big breakfast before we went hunting. I mean, you know, when you talk about yeah. three, four morning, you had eggs and bacon and sausage and biscuits and, you know, the whole gravy. I mean, uh. And, uh, and I'll never forget my, my great uncle had an old, uh, Folgers, uh, bucket that he'd always spit in every morning, you know, <laughs> it's yeah. just stuff, man, you just remember it. Uh, that's, well, that's my best times, man. And that's, that's the, the kicker at, at this stage in life. So I lost, uh, I lost a little brother suddenly, uh, back 2005, just, you know, I seen him one day, the next day in an accident, he's just gone that, that mm -hmm. type of situation. And I've noticed that over time, and they say, when you remember something, you're not actually remembering that event. You're remembering the last time you remembered it. So memories tend to fade if you don't recall them often, you know what I mean? But I started noticing, you know, 15 years down the road after losing him, all the, all the daily things and interactions that you think you'll hang with you, 
they, they fade. But when I reach back to times that we were hunting and it could be something really small and, you know, like the, like the Folgers can, but yeah. it sticks, you know, when I, when I start thinking about him and start drawing back memories, the most vivid ones of this day, they're driving down to South Georgia. They're recapping a hunt. They're celebrating, you know, a harvest. Like those, to me, those are the memories that stick with you. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's amazing now that, uh, and I feel like we all as hunters do the same thing. You know, we all, we all want to kill the biggest white tail you can possibly kill. And, you know, I, you need bragging rights and, you know, whatever it is, you know, and I think that's in everything you do. And, and the older I've gotten, man, I really realized that the most impo important part of hunting for me is the friends and the talks. And man, if you really want to learn about somebody, go hunting with them, right. sit with, you know, and, and you sit there for hours, you know, supposed to be silent. And, you know, I mean, man, I got a friend that uh, I hunt with quite a bit now. His name's Sam Smith. And every year we make a plan of hunting together and, and he does some guided stuff now. And, and I tell him, I'm like, man, you know, first day of rifle season, we'll go sit together and we probably not going to see nothing because we catching up, yeah. talking, laughing. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's just, you know, those memories and those, those times together is just, uh, you just never will get them back, man. It's, it, that's what I like about hunting now. I I'd rather, I'd rather take somebody and sit with somebody than I would, uh, you know, killing the biggest buck in the state. You know what I mean? At all day, every day. Uh, this past year, actually a little over a year ago now, um, 2020, my dad survived the Widowmaker uh, last February. It was scary as hell, you know. Um, but this past season, and I was a little hesitant. You know, his, he's doing well now, thankfully. But your heart, it gets racing when you go hunting. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the rut was coming into full swing down here in Georgia and I, they had to run and, you know, I got a place you know, set up for you if you want to go. And what it was, there's a, some hay bales and one of them had tipped over, but it made the, the perfect place where I could walk him down and we could sit comfortably and kind of like you and your buddy, you know, I'm just out there hanging out with my dad, you know, and we're talking yeah. about stuff we ain't talked about in years, but <laughs> he, he pauses all morning long. You know, we've seen deer, uh, then there was a, a bit of a lull. Well, during that lull, he decides to start taking, you know, his medication and stuff that he has to take now, which of course is when something's going to happen. So I'm sitting there and dad, you know, he's taking his medication. And I start hearing burp, 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 in the next field over. And I'm like, dad, better get your gun. Dad, better get your gun. Dad. <laughs> so next thing I know, they bust out of that next field and, and it's a doe and she's being chased by two bucks. Dad drops the medication and I've got it on video, which is amazing just to have that. Cause theoretically I shouldn't have had that opportunity to have that moment with him, you know? Absolutely. Long story short, he ends up taking one of the bucks and by no stretch of the imagination was this a wall hanger, but I promise you that is my most favorite hunt to date <laughs> and maybe for the rest of my life. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, thing about good old hunts, man, that, uh, that buddy of mine, Sam, we got to the point, and I, I know we'll get in and talk about these, uh, uh, some of these deer I've harvested and stuff, but we got to the point where, uh, well, before my accident, we would hunt together, and whoever seen the deer first, I don't care how big he was, whoever seen it first, the one got to shoot. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll never forget, 
the first year we started doing that, uh, you know, I seen this deer, this in particular deer we've been chasing, and uh, he ended up scoring 152 and seven mates. And, oh, wow. Um, but anyway, I seen him, and he's like, oh, man, all right. <laughs> we were riding a four-wheeler coming out of a deer stand, and uh, and he was at the bottom of this hill, and he was standing on top of a doe, basically, and he wasn't moving because that doe wasn't moving. Right. And, uh, anyway, Sam jumped off the four-wheeler, and I jumped up behind him, and actually standing up, and I had the gun on his shoulder, you know, so to, you know, help me to hold it steady, and shot and killed that deer. And then the next year, we went, and uh, I'll be dang if I didn't see this deer again, uh, you know, uh, the first deer. And he was, I don't know, mid-140s, I guess. And Sam was like, man, like, <laughs> dang. And I told him, I said, man, you're, you're going to kill this deer. No, you've seen it first. And I said, no, nah, I ain't going to shoot. And we argued, and we almost didn't shoot that deer because we was arguing who's going to shoot. He finally did, and, uh, and I, held a, I held it on him, you know, just for a backup. But, <laughs> man, we had so much fun doing that back and forth. And then uh, Sam actually – fell out of a deer stand and broke his back. Uh-huh. And, uh, and, and, you know, he was in Vanderbilt. And when he got out of Vanderbilt, I told him, I said, man, we're going to hunt together again. And, and we basically bought a crossbow for him and, and got started all over again hunting. Uh, and, and it got to where we was killing. We didn't care about the bucks or the antlers or whatever else. This is the first thing coming out. We're going to do this, you know. And, right. And basically starting all over. And, uh, man, we had a ball together and then obviously, and I know we'll get into my story in a little bit, but obviously I got hurt and, uh, and it went right back to, we're going to start all over again, but we're going to do it together. And, That's uh, awesome. man, we've done that together ever since. So, so how's it, how's his back recovery? Is he back to uh, full recovery? How, how that, all uh, that? He still hurts quite a bit. He's got rods and pins and all that in his back. And so, to be honest, he don't hunt much anymore because he can't hardly sit sit you know uh that one hits home with me i was this past season uh and not a lot of people know about it uh i haven't told a lot of people about it but uh i was coming down uh from a, a hang on this past year and my buddy had put it up and he swears that the gears were faulty of course he will and yes. i believe him i believe him but a shitty a shitty place for him to be in regardless i'll say that <laughs> But I'm stepping off of the hang on and the, the first uh, rung of the sticks that were attached to the tree, as soon as I put all my weight on them and started to take that first step, I feel the whole thing coming with me. And it, it felt it felt like the like just basically being on a ladder going straight back. But what it was, that top uh, ratchet had come off and the piece that went into that as my body weight pulled it back, it just slid right off of it. Luckily, that is exactly what happened that same. Oh my goodness, dude! That, that literally makes my stomach weak. I mean, it was like twelve to fourteen feet, and I fall unimpended on on the flat of my back. Right. Luckily, I didn't have anything. You know, I've heard of people having their gun on their their shoulder and you know the the barrel or whatever it was behind their back yeah. breaking it. Luckily, and that's the thing too, I never thought about like little tree stumps or spikes that could be in the ground to, to puncture. Like it's one of those, you know, people have their own belief systems or whatever, but you can't convince me that there was something else in play with me that day. I got right. up and walked away from it, you know, uh, and I experienced a mild concussion, but as far as 
broken bones. There were none, a lot of soreness. And like, I'm just now really feeling like my normal self again, but to hear that story, it just, you know, don't get me wrong, incredibly thankful uh, for everything, but I knew the odds of me getting up and walking away from that, the way that I did, it just doesn't happen that way most of the time. Yeah. And you know, it was, uh, it was the same thing, ratchet strap broke and uh, he was actually checking it, you know, it wasn't even hunting season and by itself didn't have anything on his back. Uh, climbed up, made, mainly made it almost to the top of it, and the ratchet strap broke. And ever since then, we realized that we felt like it was because the ratchet strap was dry rotting. Yeah. And every year, we take them and cut them in half so you can't reuse them with all the trash. Buy new ones every year. Well, and there's there's so many things, and that's the thing. You know, I I got married a little about a year and a half ago, and my wife, I'm I've always erred more on the careless side about stuff and you know with a wife and family and everything you you, you take measures to make them feel better so mm -hmm. i had been wearing you know i've been doing good been wearing my harness and the hang on but even if i had clipped it to that ladder there's i'm still gone you know yeah. there's just so many things that you have to look at like the strap that you're talking about and cutting them in half like those are the type of things that I will think about from, from now yeah. on, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to, nobody likes a story topper except <laughs> for this situation. I had an accident. Now I'm going to let you top my story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so March 1st of 2008, uh, and, and I'll tell you, man, the last, what's it been 13 years, I guess has been truly amazing. Um, uh, one of the questions that I get all the time before I get into it is, would you change anything that happened? And I wouldn't, man. I really feel like this is what was, you know, supposed to happen. This is where I'm at. And you kind of got to look forward, not look backwards. But uh, on uh, March 1st, 2008, it was the first uh, warm day of the year. Um, you know, it might have been in the 50s. I don't know. But it wasn't wintertime, you know, it was the first spring feeling day that we had. And you want to be outside. Uh, yeah, I wanted to be outside. And I was in my house. And at the time, I only had two daughters. And this is what I was going to say a minute ago. Uh, uh, my oldest was 21 months old. And my youngest at the time was three months old, both oh, little goodness. girls. Um, we, I was doing some honeydew projects. It was on a Saturday. I'd been working a lot of hours, you know, that whole year, I think we were working close to seven twelves and, uh, you know, I was finally home a day and, and my wife had asked me to do a couple of things. And so anyway, long about, I don't remember the time, but somewhere around mid morning, actually we got up that morning before I started my chores and went to Owensboro. Uh, and we went to the mall because there was a train inside the mall, like one of the little bitty old trains and, I took the girls for a ride on this little bitty old train, like the kind that's battery operated. You kind of fit in and, you know, the yeah. adult all, you know, as short as I can get. <laughs> yeah. um, so I did that and I came home and uh, I was doing these honeydew projects and it got to the time where I need to put the kids down for a nap. And I told Jenny, I said, all right, I'm gonna put the kids down for a nap. I did that. Uh, went outside to play with some kids that were, that were at my house. They were not my kids. And uh, I was, we was outside playing basketball. One of them, they live in Owensboro, you know, in town. And one of them was like, man, I'd like to go on a four-wheeler ride. And 
I thought, well, I'll take them around my, my, you know, my grandfather's farm. I live on my house. Well, it's my house. And then right next door to me is my uncle's house. Right next door to him, is my grandfather's house. And right next door to him, is my other uncle. And they farm about 2,300 acres. So there's an old gravel road that goes behind my house and it basically makes a U-shape and comes out of my grandfather's house. So um, I was like, well, I'll take them kids around the farm real quick. And I came in, I told my wife, I said, I'll be gone 10 minutes. She was doing some work on the computer and um, and on that, that quick little ride, man, is, is basically where my life was changed. Um, there's a culvert that you got to cross and uh, right on the other side of the culvert is a hill and uh, the sun was coming from that side, basically, and, and that field was corn that year before. So the corn stubbles were still up, you know, a couple feet, you know, high. Right. And um, as I was driving, I've been around this farm my whole entire life. So, you know, I know exactly where the road is. And I was kind of probably looking across the field, doing whatever. And long and short, when I turned back around, I noticed that there was something hanging about 30 inches off the ground. And I basically, I hit my four-wheeler brake as fast as I could and kind of slid into this thing. And, and that thing kind of hit the front end of my four-wheeler, bounced up, landed on my chest, and, uh, and basically landed in between my handlebars and my body. And whenever it, it all was said and done, I realized that it was a down power line. I thought, man, like, I wonder why it's down. And then I got to thinking, you know, we had an ice storm, wind storm that year. And I looked where that line went and it went to an old field pump. And the field pump is what pulls out water uh, when the crops are out. And I thought, well, maybe it was off, you know, because there's no reason to run a field pump, you know, in the winter. And uh, so all this stuff was going through my mind. And, uh, you know, I, I was thinking like, what could I do? I've always been told don't get off the four wheeler, you're on rubber tires. And, you know, is, is the line dead? I, I, I don't know. I mean, all kinds of stuff is going through my mind. Um, Long and short, I decided to, you know, basically raise that line up a little bit so I could back off of it. And, um, man, next so, thing I remember is... Not to interrupt completely, but yep. you're sitting on your four-wheeler with this line essentially in your lap. Yes. And you're you're having to, I, I guess, work through all these different scenarios with this line right there. Yep. Oh my yep. goodness. Oh. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm not an electrician, so I don't know much about electricity, you know, or what's supposed to happen when it happens or whatever. And, uh, so the next thing I remember is I remember feeling a vibration, um, and it was lights out, you know I mean? It was almost like I had my eyes closed. Um, I could feel a vibration all through my bones, my body, um, it was an intense vibration. It wasn't like a, just a little buzz, you know what I mean? Like it was pretty intense. And, yeah. um, and then the next thing I remember is I wake, I woke up on the ground and, uh, and I realized, and actually my cousin was down there by me too. So he was behind me and, uh, he said it looked like 4th of July had went off of me, you know? Mm. So, uh, long and short, I took 7,200 volts of electricity and, and, you know, some people, they don't even understand what 7,200 is, but, you know, the electric chair is only 6,900 volts. Oh. Um, I know you're grounded different, but it's more Still. than an electric chair, you know. Uh, it shut my whole neighborhood down. And uh, when I woke up on the ground, 
you know, I felt like I was on fire and I was trying to climb down in a ditch and uh, trying to cool off. And my cousin kept on pulling me out of this ditch and, and obviously he called 911 and an ambulance picked me up and threw me in an ambulance and uh, took off to Owensboro. And my wife actually came back there because, and I tell people this story, you know, a lot of people get mad all the time uh, when something happens that they have no control over. So, you know, here my wife is working on a computer and I can imagine she's halfway through with whatever she's been working on for the last couple of hours. And then all of a sudden, you know, bam, electricity goes out. She lost everything she was working on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think about that now from what I went through, I think about whenever I go to eat lunch and you always got somebody in a restaurant that's in a big hurry because they either got to get back to work. They got, you know, they ain't got time and nobody else's life is as busy as theirs. And they're complaining because, you know, you're not, you're taking too long to order and, you know, they have no clue what you got going on. You know uh, what I mean? And, oh yeah. And I think about that a lot now and I used to not, but anyway, my wife uh, jumped in the ambulance with me and went to Owensboro. I got to Owensboro and uh, I remember looking down at my arms and in my left hand, my thumb was basically, uh, it was barely hanging on, but it was basically gone. And I remember telling my wife, it's like, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. I'm going to lose my thumb, but that's it. And uh, my grandfather, you know, he, he had died maybe a couple months before I got hurt. And I told her, I said, you know, Papa lost his entire arm. Like he, you know, he was a, Oh, single arm MT got caught in a corn picker. And I said, I'm just going to lose my thumb. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Um, so I get to Owensboro. And as soon as I get in, uh, in the hospital, their surgeons are running in and out. And uh, basically, they call a helicopter to come get me. Uh, they take this helicopter and, and fly me to Nashville, Tennessee, to the burn unit. And I get in the helicopter and I'm asking, like, why are we going to Vanderbilt I don't understand you know like why why am I going to a different place and and nobody would ever answer except for everything's gonna be okay and uh, I get to Nashville Tennessee and uh, at Vanderbilt and I get unloaded from the helicopter and I remember going down a hallway into a room that looked like a morgue and man I didn't know if I was alive or dead at that time you know and, that sounds awful uh, that uh, that room was called a hydro room and hydro is where they actually take a pressure washer and they wash your dead skin off of you. And I went through that completely uh, with no medication because my wife hadn't got there yet. Oh, know, my or, goodness. You know, release forms. Because, I mean, that's a two-hour drive. Can you recall any uh, of that now? Yeah, I mean, I remember the room. I don't remember, you know, what it felt oh, like. Dude, you know that's what I'm about yeah. to say. Oh, yeah. that's, that's I remember rough. The room. I remember getting in there, and uh, I had no clue, though, what they were going to do to me. I had no idea. Um, so is, and I know, so you mentioned at this point, you weren't really on, you weren't really heavily sedated at this point. No, nothing. I can't imagine being in that place. Like what I was going through your mind in that moment. Like it's gotta be, it, it has to be just incredibly surreal. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember, um, I remember them even cathing me in the helicopter, sticking a cath in me. And I remember them holding the bag and the urine going into the bag looked like Dr. Pepper. And I had oh. no I, at the time. I had no clue what that was. I, you know, I remember them cathing me and, 
And um, what that was, was when you get electrocuted, it burns you from the inside out and it causes poisonous toxins inside your body. So my kidneys were shutting down. And when your kidneys shut down, that's what that was. That was blood and poison going through my body. Remember looking stuff. And that, that was the issue of life or death is my kidneys. Um, so when I went through hydro, they were basically prepping me for surgery and still had no idea what was going to happen. I mean, they never did tell me. And then my wife got down there and, you know, her whole, she's got a whole different story, but, uh, you know, she went from Owensboro riding in the ambulance with me thinking just the thumb to why are we going to the helicopter and, getting into Nashville and the doctor coming down and basically uh, I need you to sign some release forms to amputate what I got to amputate uh, blood transfusion. And, and if we don't do this in the next few minutes, he's going to die because his kidneys are shutting down. And uh, obviously she signed all the papers and I went straight to surgery and uh, I was putting into an induced coma for three days because they were going to amputate whatever they had to amputate for several days. Um, because I had to get the infection, wherever that infection was to clean my kidneys up. Um, so basically three days later, I woke up, uh, strapped to a bed because it actually, I had a fracture in my back, my neck. Uh, so, you know, I felt my hands, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I didn't know that what they had done. And I basically asked for my dad to come in the room. So my mom and dad walked in the room and sat down with me and, and basically told me that, you know, we'll get through this one way or another, but they had to amputate both of your arms in order to save your life. Dude. I was 29 years old. Dude. Now talk about, talk about heavy. Heavy. No, like I can't even begin to fathom hearing those words, especially at 29, you know, yep. the, the older that I get when I was 29 years old, I felt like, you know, I had a pretty good grasp on, what the world was and you know you have your whole life ahead of you at the age of 20 you're really just coming into your own at that point and to hear that news oh dude i can't even i can't even begin to imagine that yeah oh man i had so many thoughts going through my mind i mean you know uh how how is a 27 year old wife gonna handle that i mean hell you know she gonna leave that may be a whole nother podcast, by the way. Well, because a lot of the stuff during this time period, you know, I'm sure you're in and out. I mean, you're in a, a induced coma for three days where yeah. she's totally in her right mind and having to deal with a situation. I, you know, on the other side of the ball, I can't imagine what she went through. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you got, you got two little girls at home and, and you don't Young know girls i didn't That's i didn't really think about that so when um when bruce uh bruce swearing you know forest wildlife he, he sends me a, a text you know he had told me that uh, you guys were buddies but he asked me if you know if i'd be interested in having you on a podcast i'm like absolutely are you kidding me we don't even have to do a podcast let's go grab coffee i just want to talk to this guy you know but <laughs> after uh you know he sent me your contact information and you know you were good to come on i started looking up uh, some of your youtube videos and i'll say what struck me the most and i'm right there with you you know as far as life goes we spend so much time on trivial things like 
nobody nobody stops to think in a hundred years none of it matters you know like that's when i started watching your videos and seeing really you doing things with your bionic arms that we do every day and take for granted you know mm -hmm. like you're you're showing a video of you opening a bottle and yep. it's it's really cool to see but in my mind i'm thinking all these little just remedial tasks that that we do on a day-to-day -day basis that we give no thought to the ability to do that even even waking up and crawling out of bed relatively pain-free i'm not how am an old man now i'm, I'm gonna feel something but yeah. to be able to crawl out of bed you know on my own and just brush my teeth or whatever the case watching your videos it was really like a slap in the face and it just puts things in perspective like all the things that are in the back of my mind on you know on a daily basis that you know and they the more you worry you're you're basically most of the time working out situations that are never going to come to life you know and that was the takeaway just seeing you do all the little and they were very little tasks and you know initially but that's what hit home like every day i do these things with no thought of being thankful for the ability to do them yeah absolutely and you know it um i mean i had so many things that really just uh probably went through my mind when my dad told me that i lost my hands i mean you know i um i've always had my dad in my life and i wanted to be a dad in, in my kid's life and didn't know if i'd ever be able to do that you know didn't know if i was gonna be able to to keep a roof over their head and i didn't know if my wife's gonna stay with me leave me um yeah. well having know, a construction background everything you did was with your hands absolutely yeah you know? that was the next thing i didn't know man i honestly felt like i was the first um bilateral arm amputee in the world i've never seen anybody like me i've never heard of anybody like me and um there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff went through my mind you know and and i remember just um you know not knowing if i was ever gonna be able to give myself a bath use the bathroom put my clothes on feed myself i mean yeah. you name it you know and and here i am 29 years old thinking that um you know i had life figured out um, you know, I've always been a pretty a, a good person, you know what I mean? I've never done nobody wrong. And, um, you know, I'm sure I had the thoughts of like, why is something like, like this happened, uh, you know, to me, like, For what sure. did I do to deserve this, you know? And, and, and now that where I am today, I think back at, at people all the time and, um, you know, I, I've got to meet a lot of people of all walks of life now, you know, and I've got to meet anywhere from somebody that, you know, lives in town to, um, you know, country music artists, famous people, whatever, you know, yeah. all walks of life. And I think about all these people at some points and I think, you know, man, they really think that they got life figured out, you know, mm -hmm. they're making a ton of money doing what they love, but they don't understand how fast that can be taken away. And, um, you know, I think about that a lot, man, I really do. And, uh, and, and I'll kind of get in that story here in a little bit, but, um, I don't know, man. It's uh, everybody should take time to realize what life's all about, and it ain't about money and what you got and what your profession is. It's about uh, changing others' lives and 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 you know just being a good person and and 
man, I got so many stories that I could tell you about people that are famous that won't give you time a day. And that bothers me, man, you know, because they're no better than I am. Well, I mean, obviously they make more money and, and they do more things that I can do right now, but. They I say not to take it personal, but it's kind of hard because yeah. when I look, when I look at somebody, all I see is another individual. I don't see title. I don't see any, anything except another individual. Yeah. So when, when you have that type of response, it's, it's a little dehumanizing more so than anything, mm -hmm. but to your point, the rug can be pulled out at any time, you know, Absolutely. Uh, life has a way of doing that. Uh, but with like your situation and see, I didn't know, you know, even when I was watching your YouTube videos, I didn't realize your children were that small. Like yep. that's a whole nother layer to all this that I really didn't even, I wasn't privy to, you know, the fact yep. that your whole background was in construction, everything you did was with your hands. Oh, yeah. no. Like, yep. so you're sitting there, your dad gives you this news, right? Mm -hmm how does those next couple of days go just processing that like it's in you would have to be inhuman to not go to some level of depression trying to reconcile what's transpired in your life in the last 36 hours mm -hmm. you know I, I feel like that's where my story is probably a little different than some you know most others maybe um I think at that time in my life, having uh, all this stuff on your mind on what, you know, how it was all going to change and what you was going to be able to do or not be able to do. Um, obviously, I think once I got that that news, I mean, I think I went right back to sleep. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was in and out. Um, but probably the next day or within the next couple of days, um, I met my doctor for the first time. And, and his name was Dr. Guy. Dr. Jeffrey Guy was his name. And he was over the whole burn unit. And he walked in my room and he sat down with me and, uh, you know, obviously we talked about a lot of different stuff, you know, what happened and why they had to amputate this and that. And, um, I told him, I said, uh, oh, well, as he was sitting there, he told me, he said, Jason, I want to help you. Uh, I want to help. I want to help. I want, I want to ask you what you want to do in life. And I want you to set one goal and I want to help you reach that one goal. I said, all right, what is, you know, like, I'm, I'm going to think about this. And he stood up and he said, I want you to think about it for a day or two and then let me know. And obviously, man, the first thing that I thought about was, um, well, actually, when he got to the door, I told him, I said, Dr. Guy, I already know what I want. And he said, and he came back in, he sat down next to me and he said, what do you want? And I said, man, I don't. And, and honestly, man, I did not care if I ever could dress myself, bathe myself, feed myself, you can hire somebody for that. Your wife can take care of whatever it is. But I told him, I said, I have to be able to hold my kids again. I mean, that's all I cared about. Um, not that I just wanted to be in their life. I wanted to hold them in my arms again, you know? And um, man, when we talked about that, man, I mean, we shed some tears. I I'm mean, sure. that, was, that was hard, man. It was, it was hard in the state of mind that I was in. That's, that's what I wanted. I mean, yeah. that's all I wanted. I didn't, I didn't care about anything else. And, um, so the next, I don't know, within the next couple of days, Dr. Guy walked in and he said, man, your, your family's here to see you. And he said, I'm going to go get the girls. I'm going to bring them in your room. And I remember me, him, 
I remember me telling him that's not what I wanted. I wanted to go to the waiting room. And he said, Jason, man, you got tubes hanging out of your arms. You got feeding tubes. I mean, you know, damn, I was hooked up to everything. Yeah. You know? And I told him, I said, whatever you got to do, I want you to take it off because my kids are going to be scared of me anyway. And I said, I want to go to the waiting room. And I remember him saying, all right, we'll do it. But if you don't eat and you don't do some of this stuff, I got to put them tubes back in. And, uh, man, I'll never forget him pulling my feeding tube and taking out my catheter and, you know, everything he had to do uh, in order for me to go to the waiting room. But I went. I went to the waiting room, and that was the very first day I held my kids. And I knew right then that everything was going to work out. And, man, I, I mean, That's I'll awesome. be honest with you. It ain't that I – it's not that I've uh, ever had hard days. I've had hard times, you know, through all this. I'm sure. Uh, sad days or whatever. But I can honestly say that I was never, I never got down enough for like depressed. I'm not even going to say I ever will. I mean, hey, I may one day, I don't know, the older I get, who knows. But as of right now, man, I haven't. And um, I think it's what separates my, my story and some of the others. Uh, and it, I think it's okay to, to get down and be depressed. I mean, man, I lost. Well, that's the thing. I don't think there's anything bad about it at all. Like honestly, anybody, if it was one limb, you know, yeah. if it was, if it was, if it was a pinky, I could see being some level of depressed about, you know, losing any type of adage, let alone two arms. So, I mean, if that had been the case, you know, no fault whatsoever, but I think it's it says a lot about, you know, where your head at, or head was as an individual and the, the, the support cast that you had in and around you at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I was uh, kind of fast forward. I mean, them, them next few days in the hospital was uh, a lot of, a lot of pain. I think whenever I tell my story, you know, I tell my story so fast, people was like, man, I mean, he didn't even hurt. I mean, there's a lot of pain. There still is a lot of pain, you know? Sure. Um, but I remember, I remember uh, telling my doctor that, you know, he told me that I was going to be in hospital for months. And I remember telling him that that ain't happening. And uh, 12 days after my accident, I did everything he told me to do. And he sent me home 12 days after. 12 losing. days. Yep. Not 12 days after the amputation, 12 days after the actual accident. Yep. Three of those days was in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, no, that's pretty impressive. Uh, I guess when you got home and just adjusting to life in general, especially for somebody that has been self-sufficient their whole life, you know, you're in construction. So really anything that you, you know, you could think about in your mind, if you wanted to construct that, build it, erect it, whatever, you have the ability to literally create something out of nothing. You go from that to being very much dependent on most everybody around you. Yep. But I honestly feel like uh, as of today, from what I've been told, is I'm one of the best prosthetic users in the world. And I honestly believe that my mindset of knowing how things work and how to construct things and how, um, you know, to know that if I want to pick something up, kind of how that these hands work. Yeah that I make it look easy. And I feel like my, my mind is wired different than others. You know what I mean? And 
Oh yeah. Well, naturally, I mean, the, the things that you experienced, you know, especially with your dad starting a construction company, like from an early age, like your, your mind works differently than somebody that's not exposed to that. And it's a pretty good segue. Cause I'm curious as hell. Walk me through the mechanics. Dude, I'm literally, don't get me wrong. I love both my arms, but I'm sitting here watching you. I'm like, that's pretty cool too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, something I haven't told a lot of people, but well, I mean, some people around here know, but I used to race cars, right? And uh, I raced dirt lake models. And I know in Georgia, people know what dirt lake models are. Most people oh, do. Right up the road, 225 <laughs> North Georgia Speedway, baby. So I used to race dirt lake models and I understood uh the way you feel stuff in the seat that you're sitting in you can tell uh if you need a little bit more weight here or you know a little bit bigger spring here and i mean you can feel all that stuff in your seat of your pants you know what i mean on what right. the car is doing and basically you you fix what you think the car is doing make it go faster well it still goes back to what i got now um I got sensors laying on my muscles. So when I raise my, when I feel like I raise my wrist like this, that's what opens it. And when I feel like I raise my, or lower my wrist like this, that's what closes it. So it's just open, close, open, close. Uh, that's just my muscles. Can you flip and a you bird can, with that? What's that? Oh can you yeah. Flip a you bird? Can, oh yeah. You can, you can <laughs> stall fingers out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that's really that's really all I wanted to know. Yeah. <laughs> if you uh, co-contract, which means you hit two muscles at the same time, you tell a hand to go in wrist rotate, and then whenever you do that, so I just co-contract, so it's in wrist rotate now. So when I lower my wrist, and I'm just holding my muscle down, or if I raise my wrist, it goes the other way. That's pretty and killer. Until it stops, so that's all muscle control. All right. So and this is. Yeah. This is not a great question, but it's one that I've thought about. Going to the restroom, like something else that we take for granted every time we go, like even pulling down a zipper, a zipper for men, women, whatever, like these, these, I guess, tasks, these small tasks that never really, you know, hit our mind as something that could be potentially hard to do. Going yeah. to the restroom. How was that process even learning how to do that again? Uh, well, it was hard learning, that's for sure. But uh, now, you know, man, it's it's uh, just like anybody else does it with real hands. You know, you kind of look man, forward to it like we do. Except for, <laughs> can you hear? Can you hear the noise? Yeah, I can. Okay. The only thing that bothers me now is I go in stalls because when you're at urinal and you hear that noise, <laughs> the guy beside you is looking down and you don't know if he's looking for something. <laughs> Or what? So I got I to go in a urinal now, because, or not a urinal, in a stall because I'm afraid, like, man, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different type of people out there now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't know if they're looking or what they're trying to do. Well, and if you, if you were born with the equipment that I am, you don't want them looking. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> <laughs> funny. But in that, you know, and I'll say too, even, even knowing your connection to Bruce or you know, watching some of your videos, like I, my wife, cause I've talked to her about this conversation. Yeah. You know, I'm I told her, I'm really excited to, to talk to Jason. If we were not recording it, I would want to talk to this guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And she's like, well, have you thought of any questions or whatever? And I looked at her and I said, 
I just want to know about going to the restroom. Like, you know, <laughs> like that was, that was my first thought, you know, just things that you do that you would rather not have to have help with. That's right, man. It was rough, man. At first, you know, the first year of my life, first year and a half of my life was tough. I mean, you know, having your wife have to help you do everything, man, it sucks. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely hard. And Dude, uh, you and your wife making it through all this, you, and don't get me wrong, I know any relationship has ups and downs, but uh, y'all came through some shit. You know what oh, I mean? absolutely. And, and that even, and that even, uh, man, it, you know, later on when we get into, well, we'll just get in that later on when we talk about some of these people I've met, you know, it's just, uh, I, I don't know. I'm still the same person I was, man, before I got hurt. And yeah. I'll always be the same person. I mean, in my eyes, there's nobody better than me and I'm not better than anybody else. That's what uh, it should be. I mean, that's just the way it is. And I've had some really, really cool opportunities to do some really cool stuff. And, um, and, and it hadn't made me any different of a person than I was before. Um, it's just, that's just the way it is. I mean, that's the way I want my kids to be. And, you know, I don't care what their profession is. They, you know, become famous, not famous. I still want them to be, um, uh, a real person. That, well, you know? that, that word real, uh, it, you know, it's thrown around a lot, but you don't see, so the Japanese, they had a saying, uh, if I can remember it off the top of my head, basically we all have three faces. The ones that uh, we show basically people that we don't know, uh, the one that we show people that we know, and then the one that only ourself knows. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, so when I, when I talk about being real, like even, even like the horny deer sense stuff or whatever, at the end of the day, just to know where somebody stands on something. I don't care if, if I agree with you, don't agree with you. I just like to know who you are, you know? Yeah. And I think that's where so many people today, they kind of get caught up in everything as far as politics and all this other, it's, it's so trivial to me. I can't even pay attention to any of it. You know what I mean? But you don't, yeah. you don't see the people that think politicians really give a shit about them are the same people that think strippers are in love with them when they're at the titty boy. Right. That's right. You know, you know that, that's exactly, uh, that's exactly the way I feel. It's just like right now, you know, obviously everybody is, uh, still complaining about the Trump Biden thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I try to, when I go to vote, I don't care if it's Democrat, Republican. I, I try to vote for the person. I don't care what right. the party. Um, and, and I don't get into politics with people because I feel like I do my research and I feel like I vote for the person I feel like is going to be best. And it's really kind of up to me. And, and uh, you know, it is what it is, I guess, the way I, I feel. But I, I also I feel like, you know, I feel like when this whole Trump-Biden thing happened and, and you know, Biden won and, and Trump basically felt like, you know, he was robbed the election, I, I really honestly feel like it's really hard to fake an election, right? Yeah. Regardless if you're happy or not happy with the way it is. I mean, obviously we know that Trump was for guns and whatever else, but the way I see it, 
and, and maybe it's because of my accident, I don't know, but right now today, uh, Biden is our president, right? Yeah. And you got to support him. That's where he's at right now. And and it's just like when you go to court for something, and, and I told somebody this not long ago, I was picked for jury duty, and I was actually on a murder case. Well, they have video surveillance of the murder, right? You see this guy, and you see him pull a gun, and you see him shoot somebody, but you don't ever see his face, right? And you see the direction he runs, and, and then three blocks over, they find a guy three blocks over, and that's really all the evidence they had. And, and deep down inside, do I think he was guilty? Yes, I did. I yeah. felt like he was guilty. I felt like he did it. But was there proof? No, there wasn't no proof. There was right. not one thing. There, was, there wasn't a fingerprint. There was nothing that showed it was him. And it's just like going to that. You, you know, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Right. So that's the way I feel about Biden. I mean, if they find out that it was truly set up and uh, and and he lost it, or you know, the Trump lost because somebody uh, rigged it, man, I'm going to be just as mad as anybody else. For sure. But as of right now, they can't prove that. So you got to move on with life. And you know, I know gas prices are going up, and it sucks. I mean, I know that. You yeah. know, but you still got to somewhat. Um, you you got to somewhat go on and move forward, and I think For I sure. get that from accident. I mean, you know what I could have done when I lost my hands is said hell with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like doing with the country, hell with it. No, you can't have that attitude. You got to go on with it and make the best out of it. There, there is no other option but to go forward. And mm -hmm. at the end of the day, why worry about things that are out of your control? That's right. Uh, there was a guy I was listening to on the Rogan podcast, Duncan Trust. So I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's actually really, really, really funny. But he was talking about, uh, he compared it to a garden. Basically, you know, you've got a, a really large garden that as one individual, you there's no way you can tend to all of it. So it's a simple approach. But when you think about it, you only tend the garden you can reach whatever is in your reach that's what you, there's where you focus your attention what's outside yep. of your reach what's outside of your purview every time we say yes to something we're saying no to something else every time you're going in deep thought about a trump biden situation you might be you could be neglecting a thought that could change your whole life maybe it's a, a business idea like maybe it's something you could be doing better in a relationship all this brain power, all this time spent on things that none of us actually have any control over whatsoever. Yep. Yep. I mean, you know, we can vote and that's the only thing you can do. And once it goes past that, it's, it, you know, you did what you, you could do. Yep. Yep. You know? Yep. And, uh, but you know, uh, you know, since my accident, man, I, you know, obviously, you know, that I became the first in the world with bionics. And that was just because my insurance said yes. Oh, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Because yeah. one of the videos that I was watching, you mentioned the struggle with your insurance company and making that happen. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to go into a great deal of detail, but what, what did that process look like? Um, you know, I was denied uh, the very first time and I just kept fighting it. Uh, I kept on writing letters. I kept on telling them this is what I needed. This is what I wanted. Uh, and they would write back and say, no, what you want's a luxury. 
you know? Yeah. And then I would write back. Well, I said, I'll tell you what. And I found out the doctor's name or whoever had said that it was a luxury. I said, won't you spend a day with me? You know, and we'll tie your hands behind your back and tell me what you can do. You know, there's nothing. (laughs) Oh, that's pretty good. um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, and then it got to the point where, you know, they would ask me, well, why, why do you think you need these? And I, and I told them straight up, I said, well, I'll tell you what, one thing that I want to be able to do, I don't care if it's, uh, if it's something I have to do or not, but one thing that I want to do and, and the way this hand's going to help me is I'm going to be able to hold my kids' hands and I'm going to be able to walk them across the street. I said, I don't care if that's something that has to be done or not has to be done. That's what I want. I mean, you know, that's what I wanted, but whenever I, I decided I wanted kids, you know what I mean? And, yeah. Um, so I think that story right there when I told them that is what really pulled their heartstring. And they were like, man, you know, this guy wants to be a dad again. Let's just get it. And they said yes. And then from then on, man, that's when I became the first. And, um, and then once I got the prosthetics, I started uh, becoming really good. I still wear body parts too, stuff too, you know, because that's what I hunt in. Right. Uh, Cause this stuff right here is so expensive that you don't want to hunt in it and tear it up. But, um, you know, kind of fast forward from 2008 till today, um, I just worked really, really hard on wanting to be the best. And, and that was literally my goal was to be the best prosthetic user in the world. Uh, and I still don't feel like I'm there because I feel like if you ever feel like you're the best, somebody's going to go right past you and you ain't even going to see it. And, um, so every single day I learn more and more and more about prosthetics and I try to use them where they, they're a part of me, where other people's like, man, I can't believe you just drank a drink without really paying a whole lot of attention because <laughs> yeah. I want these hands to be mine. I mean, not yeah. you know, a foreign object or whatever, and they're comfortable. And, uh, you know, I go to, I go to one of the best prosthetic users in the world. I mean, not users, uh, the makers, uh, the guy that builds my arms, arm dynamics, I feel like they're the best in the world. So I feel like I surround myself with nothing but the best. And that's why I got the best, you know? And, awesome. um, but then, you know, it goes into like the little stuff when I first got home and I started to, you know, learn how to use the bathroom on my own and feed myself and dress myself to, uh, went turkey hunting a month after my accident, killed my first turkey a month. A after month my after your accident. Yep. And no, no. Prost- I, I took the, uh, I took the two screws out of the brother's shotgun and I put a ratchet strap on it and I strapped it to my shoulder and I had a tripod on the front with a radiator hose clamp and a screen. <laughs> Construction, man. I'm telling you that another reason to believe that this was, I mean, it was an accident, but no accident. Like if anybody's yep. going to have to go through this, you're pretty well equipped, you know, to get the most out of it. Yep. So I killed my first turkey like that. And then uh, you know, I told you earlier before my accident, I killed that, that one deer was, uh, 152, uh, which was probably, I guess that's probably my, that was my biggest deer at the time, you know, with hands, uh, whatever. And then, um, uh, I remember after losing my hands, starting to use crossbows and, uh, I started out with a Parker is what I started out with. And then I got hooked up with, um, um, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> my mind went blank. Uh, I went from a Parker to a Barnett and then I started, I started shooting a Barnett because I talked to you know, the guys at, at Barnett and they were like, man, we want to see you shoot something with our, with our equipment. I was like, all right. So I got one. I went bear hunting. I killed a bear with a Barnett crossbow. 
uh, became the first person in the world that they know of to kill a bear with a crossbow as a bilateral arm amputee. Uh, and then I started, you know, just hunting, killing does to killing, you know, spikes to four pointers to trying to make my way back up. And, uh, and you know, earlier I told you it's not about the size of a deer, but uh, because I don't care if somebody kills one bigger than me, smaller than me, or whatever, but uh, I've killed enough deer in general that I like to hunt for trophies. You know what sure. I mean? And, uh, I'm not going to brag about it by any means, but that's what I like to do. And, well, uh, I think there's a natural maturation process in a hunter. Yep. You know, like I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Like you, most people take up, you know, that don't come in through through a father or whatever, but they appreciate the challenge of it. So mm -hmm. when you start, you know, you are looking for an animal. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And then you grow and then your what you need as far as being fulfilled changes. You know, I don't yeah. think it's anything wrong to say I like to hunt big deer. Yeah. Well, a uh, year before last, I killed uh, my, my biggest deer to date. And uh, he was 187 inch deer. And, oh, wow. Uh, Followed him all year, chased him all year, hunted my tail off, uh, killed him the last day, the last afternoon, late January, cold snow. Um, how did that all come to, how did it play out? Like, how did the actual scenario come out? Just give, give uh, us a good, give us a good hunting story. Yeah, so uh, that last day, that last afternoon, it was cold, man, super cold. We hunted that afternoon. I'd had several pictures of this deer, uh, mainly nighttime. And uh, me and my buddy was hunting together, same stand. He'd already tagged out. And uh, probably 10 minutes, five minutes before dark, uh, he looked over to the right. Because I thought I'd seen a deer to my left, and I could tell it was a buck. But I couldn't tell how big. And that's the direction that deer always came from was to my left. So I remember telling him, like, hey, dude, I think this is him, maybe. You know, I see a deer, and I see some horns, but... You know, can't really tell. It's starting to get so dark, you know, and he was in the woods and a pretty good little far shot. I said, I don't know for sure, but it looks like it. And then about that time, I'm looking to the left and my buddy says, oh my gosh. And I, I said, what? He goes, he's right here. I said, where? He said, to my right. I said, no, you no way. He goes, I swear, <laughs> he's coming. Get ready. I was like, all right. So anyway, I turn around. I get the crossbow set where I want it. Uh, I know about where he's coming. He's standing behind a tree. I can't see him yet. And here comes a doe after a doe after a doe. And well, let me, I'll back it up just a little bit. Right before they come out, there was two coyotes chasing a doe in front of us. Oh, wow. Yeah, them coyotes came running right beside me and I was going to try to shoot one of them. And them coyotes ran in the woods to my left and straight back. Well, there's a big holler behind me. So anyway, about that time, them does started coming out and he was the last one to come out. And he come out in front of me about 45 yards and I shot him and he ran probably 15 yards and I watched him drop. But I honestly believe that those coyotes jumped him up, jumped them all up because I've never seen that many deer at one time right there. And I feel like they ran back there and jumped him up out of the bed and they come on out. But man, I'm telling you three minutes later would have never happened. That's awesome. Would have never happened. One, did you uh, say 187? Yeah. Dude, I can't even, so down here in my neck of the woods, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know I, mean? yeah. I can't imagine looking up and seeing an 187 inch deer, particularly close enough to shoot it with a crossbow. 
Yeah, yeah, it's crazy, man. I whistled at him whenever he got in front of me to stop him and can you shot him. feel your bionic? I got it on video. It's on YouTube. Can you feel your bionic arm shaking? Like, do you still experience like any I level? Of I wasn't even shaking, man. I was pretty dang calm and chill. I love it. I really <laughs> well, and I think your your story in general, I think it's incredibly powerful. One. As far as life goes, I mean, we really are on a, a bit of a roller coaster ride, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it's going to throw at you. And you know Good. what? The moment, the moment you think life is starting to feel easy and the moment you think you've got life figured out and, you know, you've reached that, that place that you've looked for your whole life. There's no guarantee it's going to stay there for no amount of time. You, you have to roll with the punches play the hand that you're dealt, but you sure. got to keep moving forward. Absolutely. And you know, uh, you know, before I even killed that deer, man, I, I tell people that uh, I was in the newspaper and, and TV locally a lot on my, or on our local news um, quite often. And everything that was impressing people and inspiring people and all that kind of stuff, I wasn't doing it to impress or inspire anybody. I was doing it because that's what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? I wanted absolutely. That's what I wanted for myself and for my life. Um, and then what happened was um, it started opening doors. You know, being local and being and being a positive person uh, just started opening doors up. And I ended up being on CNN, and then that turned into doing uh, CNN Dr. Gupta, and then that turned into doing the Associated Press and. That turned into Good Day Philadelphia, and and then turned into going to Ohio, and and it turned in for me to be uh, an ambassador for Oster, which makes the bionic hands. I'm an ambassador for them now, which is nice. based out of Iceland and Scotland is where the engineers are. I talk to the engineers a lot. Uh, I tell them what I like, what I don't like, what I want it to do, what I don't want it to do, and sometimes they make it too hard. They want to make it just like a real hand and it's never going to be a real hand. Right. Uh, but I try to tell them, like, man, you got to dumb it down a little bit. Sometimes you can't make it so hard as people can't use it. So I, I give a lot of feedback to them. And then I end up doing an episode on Hawaii Five-O. No, I did no seriously. <laughs> it's yeah. hilarious. What were I you did. doing on, what did you do on that episode? So I did a Hookman episode. I was a bad guy and they couldn't find the finger. <laughs> <laughs> so i kill i got to kill a bunch of people <laughs> dude that's amazing i won't look that up yeah so for anybody listening do you remember the season, season and episode season three uh, episode 15 uh i'm gonna watch I'll it tonight. How, i'll tell you how that worked out though it was uh <laughs> dude, they, were gonna do the episode, they were gonna do the episode with robocop from the 80s peter weller is his name yeah uh he's actually from well, his wife's from georgia atlanta uh, so anyway, they hired him to be the amputee in the show, and they could not make it look like he had fake hands. So they Googled and found me, and I was his, um, I was his hands. It was his face and my hands. Basically. So they flew me to uh, Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, went on set, never met an actor <laughs> in my entire life. And here I am standing there next to the producer and him saying, you see that guy laying on his stomach? I said, yeah, he goes, that's Peter Weller, RoboCop from the 80s. I was like, well, that's cool. And they said, we need your hands shooting a gun, and we need his face. And I was like, all right. And they said, can you go over and lay on top of him and put your arm underneath his armpit and pull yeah. the trigger? I was like, yeah, I'll do that. So anyway, I walked over and 
crawled up on top of him, basically was spooning him and <laughs> had my arm underneath his armpit. And anyway, I get to laughing and he looks over at me and he says, boy, what are you laughing about? I said, well, I mean, you're the first guy I ever laid on top of and I don't even know your name yet. So uh, he and I became really good friends to say well, the least. What's funny about it, the area that you're from and live in is so rural, like to pluck somebody out of that area and put them yeah. on, dude, that's hilarious. Yes. So, uh, um, I was on that show. We filmed that for two and a half weeks is what it took. And I ended up having a cameo in it too. And so anyway, whenever I got home from doing that, uh, that even opened up more doors for Oster to really want to send me even the newest stuff. This is the fifth generation hand. Now I've been the first five times. Anytime they come out with something new, I'm the first to get it. That's awesome. Um, but that opened up doors where I did, I did an Apple commercial. It was on the Super Bowl in 2014. I've done a movie with Matthew McConaughey uh, called Free State of Jones. I've all been right, on. All right, all right. Uh, yeah, I've been on. Uh, let's see, what else have I been on? Um uh, I've been on a TV show called Manifesto about the Unabomber. I don't know. I do know something you've been on. What's that? The Horny Deer Sense podcast. There you go. Boom. I've been on that. You acted with Matthew McConaughey, and then you shot the shit with Scott Pratt. There you go. He's come full circle. You can retire. (laughs) That's right. I've done a bunch of hunting shows. Uh, You know, I became really good friends with, uh, and still talk to him quite a bit, is... uh, you know, uh, T-Bone, and I talked to Nick Munt. I talked to uh, uh, Lee and Tiffany Lukoski. Yeah. Man, I'll never get Tiffany calling me for the first time and me being in awe that Tiffany Lukoski called my cell phone. You know what I mean? I was like, Absolutely. wow, I can't believe that. Um, yeah, I've, I've- I'm, I'm really glad that, that we connected more so, you know, when uh, after I had talked to Bruce and started watching the video, it was like, so you, you see the storyline, you know, bionic arms and all this, and you're like, oh, that, you know, that, that's really cool that we live in a time where this is possible. But mm-hmm. it wasn't until I started looking at the background and looking at the videos and the different things that you were doing where it really sat in. Like, you know, I've got too many things that I let way too heavily on me that are just not mm-hmm. important. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've got to use some of this and while we talk about some of this big stuff, bigger stuff that I've done, you know, I've been on a bunch of hunting shows too. And um, there's things that really surprise me at, at times. Um, Peter Weller, RoboCop, and I have became really good friends, right? And he flies into my hometown and spends a weekend with me around the anniversary of my accident about every other year. And the first year he came in, I put on an event called Handing Back, which Basically, I just wanted to see if I could raise some money and have some fun, and I will figure out what we do. You know what I mean? If it happens, right. it happens, whatever. And uh, I charged $10 a person to get in, and the next day, I counted all this money. It was $18,000, and I Damn. gave 18000 to seven different local charities. You That's know, I just, incredible. It is awesome. And the second time we did it, it was $21,000. And, and that gets into the story, what I was telling you earlier of, you know, I met some, I met some people that other people know who they are and I want to use that in a way to do something really cool for somebody else. You know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to hide 
uh, Peter Weller just to myself. You know what I mean? I want to sure. let's do something cool if he's willing to do it. And and that's where it comes to. Sometimes I don't understand. You know, I know you brought up like Joe Rogan. Uh, man, I've been trying to get on his podcast, and whether um, you know, maybe maybe I'm not known well enough to do something like that. I don't no, know. Look, you know if I mean, it hap- if it happens, you got to name drop us. I hear you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like uh, you know, knowing Bruce, I've got to meet uh, meet some people for you know Dude, a time so- or two. Let's stop right there. How phenomenal yep. of a person is Bruce Swearing in a forest wildlife? Oh, he's a great dude, man. He uh can you see my arms? I got my I, kids' pictures on them, I right? Can. Yeah. So I got my kids' pictures on all my arms. I designed them myself. And then look, look what I got right there. Dude, forest wildlife right there. I, I'll say for I tell him I'm a walking billboard for him. Well, you know, last year, uh we were We'll be two years old, 20 deer since be two years old this summer. And I'm still at the point, we're nobody. You know, we're we're trying to, to, to carve out a space in an area that we would love to spend our life and make a living doing what we love. That's where yep. we're at. We get phenomenal products, but there's a lot of phenomenal products. You know what I mean? Yep. But when, uh, when I got connected with Bruce, not only was he open, like like you were talking about people that maybe won't give you the time of day or whatever. Bruce has, there is no, there's nothing I can do for Bruce at this point, you know? But when he and I first connected from, from day one, uh, just interacting with him, it was just like somebody that I've known all my life, you know? Mm-hmm. I, uh, went down and actually saw him in his shop. We went and grabbed lunch this past season and uh, still keep in touch with him. But he's one of those individuals, like you were talking about, just real, genuine. That That is literally all I ask of anybody. Just be who you are and it'll be enough. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Bruce, Bruce knows, Bruce knows people that uh, is in that celebrity, you know, whatever. And I've got to meet some of them through kind of through him without him being there. You know what I mean? And, um, I've told Bruce before, you know, man, once my book, I'm writing a book right now, it's not out yet. But once it does come out, I, I want somebody to help me push it, you know? And, and it, it's sad that it takes a name anymore to push, uh, put to push a story. I feel like, uh, I, I honestly feel like if I had a second to sit down with anybody, I don't care who it is, anybody in the country, you could, you could pick a name and put me in front of them. Let me sit down with them. Let's have lunch. And by the end of having lunch, I'll have their cell phone number and we'll be buddies. You know what I mean? Like they don't know that I'm, I'm genuine and I'm real. For sure. And I don't care how big of a celebrity it is. If I had that moment, that 30 minutes with them, yeah. I'm good. Um, Peter Weller, I talk to him almost every week now. You know, I mean, it's RoboCop. Uh, Alex Olofen, which is McGarrett on Hawaii Five O. We talk all the time. The guy called me one time when his house was on fire just to tell him that my story inspired him enough to know that everything's going to be okay. That's um, incredible. I mean, you know, it, the list goes on and on and on. And, and here I am, uh, in my mind, doing some pretty big stuff with in the hunting industry where, you know, I use this Parker crossbow at first and then Barnett's like, hey, man, 
Won't you shoot ours? Absolutely, let's do it. So I kill a bear. I became the first person in the world to kill a bear. It was in a magazine, right? It was on TV, it was on Dirt Road Outdoors. And then I killed uh, one of the biggest whitetails in the state of Kentucky year before, right? With a crossbow. And I guarantee you, as a bilateral, I've killed the biggest whitetail in an entire world, probably as a bilateral arm amputee with a crossbow. I have zero. And then, you know, and, and then it's been in magazines and I've got it on film and it's on YouTube and whatever else. And, you know, not that I want them to pay me, I don't, but I can't get them to help me do anything. Push yeah. a story, put it in a magazine, use my picture in the magazine, whatever. I'm like, how can you get a better <laughs> story than that, man? You know what I mean? I, like, know I, what I mean, I don't know. And, and then, you know, it gets to the people where, you know, I've met celebrities that, um, you know, they see me and they hear my story and I'm just this little peon to them until they find out that I know, you know, I don't know whoever, you know, the Jordan or not, not the Jordans. I know Tyler Jordan, right? I know, uh, Dave Blanton. Dave Blanton's one of my heroes, man. That's one guy I look up to and, Dave Blanton's one of those, and going back to you never know who you're actually getting. Dave Blanton, you know, from when I was really young watching him, he just come off as one of the most meek, sincere types of individuals. And I just, to, I don't want to have an image like that destroyed, but to hear you talk positively about David Blanton, that that is who he is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Great. Absolutely. But then, you know, I met I, at one time and I ain't going to tell who it was, but I was, uh, uh, I had met this country music artist that most people know. Um, and probably Garth was, Brooks. Uh, huh? Probably Garth Brooks. I just threw that out because he sang at the inauguration and shit. <laughs> He's basically the fifth yeah. Dixie chick or fourth or yeah, whatever yeah. it is. Uh, no, so this guy, I met him once and I thought, man, he hunts, you know, he's a good dude. I'm going to tell him my story. And I told him my story and he just looked at me like, dude, I ain't got time for you. You know what I mean? I was really? like, okay. Oh yeah. And then, and then we go to the NWTF and he's at the NWTF and he's talking to Dave Blanton and, you know, I'm standing back cause I'm waiting until they get done. And he keeps looking over and then finally he makes a comment, something like, man, what are you looking at? And I said, oh, I'm just waiting to say hello to Dave Blanton. Dave Blanton turns around, gives me a hug. Hey, Jason, you know, and then this guy sticks his arm out, wanting to shake my hand. I'm like, dude, you didn't have no time of day for me five seconds ago, you know? Absolutely. And then That's now, sick. yeah, and then now I know he has been through a life-changing uh, uh, situation, story, whatever. And now it makes me want to think, like, man, I'd love to talk to him again because I want to see – where he's at in his life now does he yeah. feel like things don't happen to people like him or not you know what well, i mean and that's excellent perspective from your standpoint too you know like i remember when i was younger if there was somebody that maybe i didn't jive with or whatever you know i just took it as that person was like that from birth you know like you yep. a lot of times you don't stop and think that people are the way they are a lot of times in a lot of ways due to their experiences. Obviously you got DNA and hereditary traits and stuff like that, but much like a river carving out its path, you know, we're all influenced by our surroundings from day one, 
you know, and kind of like you were talking about being at the uh, uh, restaurant and somebody wanting speedy service or whatever, like you just don't know what anybody has had to deal, have to deal with in their life. And so to be able to be able to have that experience with somebody and then step back and say, I would like to reconnect with that person. Now that, yeah. you know, cause life teaches us all lessons. Some, yeah. some are further ahead than others in different aspects, but you know, at some point life, it's going to remind you why you're here, you know, and that's to get better. That's right. That's right. And you know, that's, you know, me and, uh, me and Bruce has talked a lot about different, different people that, you know, when my book comes out, man, I'd love to get my book in their hands and, and talk to them for 30 minutes and maybe they'll help me push my story. And, and the thing about me is I don't want to share my story for a price. Yeah. I want to share my story because I want people to know that there's no reason to give up on life. I don't care if I get paid for it or not. That's not, that's not what I'm wanting out of this whole thing. I feel like I went through uh, the last 13 years have been a lot of up and downs and a lot of hard work. And I feel like it's my place. Uh, I feel like God has set a platform for me to share my story. Yeah. And I need, I need help doing that by people that influence others. You know I mean? You get a Blake Shelton to share my story or a, Jason Aldean to share my story on their social media. What's going to happen? It's going to blow up. You know, people's going to want to hear it. And then whether they're going to get out of it, you know, what's Jason Aldean and Blake Shelton and whoever else it is going to get out of it? Nothing, maybe. But what is the person they're sharing to is going to get out of it? It could change their life, man. It could, it could get them from thinking about suicide to not. I mean, it could take them from uh, thinking about getting divorced because whatever reason to man if them two you know if they got through it i know i can get through it like they have no idea what that story may do for others you know and and it's time at some point it's time to look back and say you know there's no reason that i can't share this story for this guy uh instead of looking at and i'm not saying blake shelton and jason aldean or whoever it is doesn't think like this but at some point they need to think about let's share this instead of what am I going to get out of it if I share it? For sure. You know, how much money am I going to get out of it if I share this story? Are you going to hire me to do a, a half a million dollar concert for an hour and a half? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what what's in it for me? And there's really nothing. I mean, I don't want to go up to them and ask for an autograph. I, I care less. It's a, it's a sure. significant piece of paper. You know what I mean? And, yeah. um, I don't know. I just, uh, I feel like I feel like there's a reason for everything, and you just gotta have. And the thing about it is, all these people I've talked to, and I'm not gonna mention some names, but I've talked to inspirational speakers that have a huge platform, and I've talked to them was like, "Hey, teach me, like, teach me how to get into that spot. How do I share my story? I'm a guy from Owensboro, Kentucky. I don't know. Like, oh. I already said, I've already said the Blake Shelton, Jason Aldean, so." Jason Aldean's from Georgia, right? Yeah. He grew up in a small hometown. I don't know. Did did Jason just automatically, uh, the day he was born, his mom and dad told him, he was like, hey, buddy, you're going to be a superstar. You're going to make this kind of money, so let's just go to Nashville and do it. No way. He met people that met people that met people that got him to where he's at. He didn't do it on his own. Nobody None does. Of, nobody can do what they do on their own. Nobody, nobody does. Um, it. Th- 
that reminded me, I saw one of your references on one of your videos about Inky Johnson. Yes. I was at that game. So wow. I lived in Knoxville. So my dad's a preacher. And at some point he took a pastorship in Knoxville. So we moved to Knoxville and it was, you know, as I'm, yeah, I'm like 12 years old. So I got to Knoxville uh, in the early nineties, just as Tennessee was really starting their run through the nineties, big Tennessee fan. So the Inky Johnson game, I was actually there and like his story. Cause I remember sitting up in the stands and seeing the hit and everything. And you didn't know exactly what was happening, but you knew it took a longer amount of time than it normally would for an, in for an injury. Like you knew it was significant, but his story, uh, much like yours where a lot of people you know could easily fold under that pressure and nobody would fault them for it same type of situation he embraces it and carves out a whole nother niche for himself basically yeah. life doesn't give a crap what happens to you it's still going to go it's, it's like my favorite robert frost quote uh, of all the things i've learned about life i can sum up in three words it goes on yep yep it's a you know, your choice and why you talk about Inky, Inky is one of them that I really, truly look up to, man. He, uh, he's got an amazing story. And, uh, I reached, I reached out to Inky, um, on his website and secretary called me back and got me hooked up with Inky and Inky called me on my cell phone and I talked to Inky for, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes that day. And he was very, uh, I feel like he was moved by my story. I feel like, you know, he, he said, man, we got to keep this conversation going. And, and I said, man, I, I do anything. I mean, you know, I, I'd love to have you as a mentor and, and push me to where I need to go and how I need to do this to share my story. And, um, you know, the thing about, the thing about Inky is, um, after that first conversation, we were going to have another one. Uh, I haven't been able to get a hold of Inky since then. Oh yeah. And, and I don't know whether it's his secretary or if it's whoever not giving him messages, but Inky follows me on Instagram, but I've even got to the point where I have asked um, on his website, like how much would it cost me to sit down with Inky for 45 minutes? I'll drive to Atlanta. Yeah. I'm going to sit down with him, man. Like I want, I know that Inky um, without knowing Inky, I know Inky knows that he has a purpose in life and his purpose is to share his story. And I feel like that's my purpose too, but I need that lead to figure out how to do that. You know what I mean? Sure. And, Absolutely. And, and I'm not getting to that. And I wish that maybe somebody on this podcast would know how to get a hotel. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you never <laughs> love, know. Love it. Uh, love it. A lot of, and that's the thing. You just, you don't know what's not happening, you know? Yep. Like once, yeah. once somebody gets to a, a certain level, like not as an individual per se, but there are a lot more moving pieces and a lot more people touching a lot more things than that individual handling it, handling everything themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, um, man, I don't know. That's all I need is, is some doors to open and figure out how to get to that point. You know I mean? Not, you know, with you being in Georgia and, and I feel like Bruce, might have those connections with some of those type of people that I can sit in front of, you know, it's just got to make it happen. You know, I may have some in my network as well. I'll look into that. And obviously as we grow, we'll be able to have more and more influence as we get out there. But 
uh, I'll say your story in general, um, you know, if, if we had not had this conversation, if I had watched your YouTube videos and then you come back and you're like, look, it's not going to work out, you know, and it, and it didn't happen. I still took a lot away from that. Just uh, again, the little things that you were doing, you know, whether it's opening a bottle or any of the number of simple tasks that you were completing that hit home with me, man. Like, it's like you start, it's impossible not to do some sort of self-examination, you know, and uh, just, it's always nice when you can put things in per, into perspective without having to go through the things that you went through to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, and, you know, and today I can honestly say that, um, you know, I, I mean, I got a, I got a little boy now too. So, you know, now I have three kids and um, I get to do what I wanted I guess I get to I get to be the person that I wanted to be before I had kids. You know what I mean? I, I feel like I'm uh, you know a dad and and I do the stuff with them and run around with them and I mean you know the only thing different between me now than then is I don't have my hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just that's that, that small little difference. <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> that way, that's really the only difference. I just don't have hands. Yeah. 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 I uh, mean, but. You know, I don't know. I mean, I hope that I hope people continue to reach out to me because, uh, you know, I've had other entities call me and uh, write me on on Facebook and I get back with them pretty dang quick. You know, I mean, sometimes within an hour or two and they and they always it blows my mind. I did a podcast for. Uh, uh, oh, no, I, I did a YouTube for Whitetail Cribs, you know. And this guy watched that YouTube and he wrote me on my Instagram account, wrote me a message like, hey, you know, man, you inspire me, this and that from, from Missouri. I wrote him back. First thing he said was, I'm blown away you wrote me back. I was like, wow. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like maybe maybe people feel like that or I feel like that, you know, whenever you got that. If Jason Aldean was writing me back, I'd probably feel the same maybe. But <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm just like, man, it, you know, it ain't nothing, man. I love doing what I do. You know, yeah. I, I love talking to people and meeting new people and getting to know new people. I mean, that's what I, that's what I love to do. Well, and, you uh, essentially live two lives. Let's be honest, you know, like pre-accident, post-accident, you know, you're yeah. now writing a totally different script than you have been working on your whole life. Yeah. And absolutely. it's like, you have, you have, uh, a really incredibly powerful story and you know it's one as soon as you hit the right platform and that's the takeaway for me is just thinking about you know if i'm in your shoes i know you've seen at this point a number of lives affected by your story and affected in a really positive way i mean you were alluding to it earlier you know there's no telling how many marriages you saved just by yeah. telling your story you know so I definitely get that sense of urgency as I look, this happened for a reason. I can't sit idly by and not share it. So on that note, obviously we're, we're still pretty early in our maturation process as a company or whatever, but if there is anything that we can ever do, you know, it's kind of like the, the thing with Bruce, I, I kind of feel bad because I want to reciprocate and, you know, <laughs> him even making this introduction, you know, that's more than I could have asked for. Yeah. But at some point, 
I, I really believe that I will be able to reciprocate and, and we will be at a place where, you know, we can do some things. So, uh, just let us know, I guess is what I'm trying to say. If there's anything yeah. we can do or I can do personally, let me know. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be awesome. I mean, sharing, sharing my story goes a long way and getting people connected where I can keep sharing it, man. That's what I, that's what I really want to do. You know, yeah. just, just to inspire I, others. I might even do something locally uh, and we can do it around deer season or turkey season. You can come down here at the house and hang out. But I would love to schedule something locally, uh, you know, because I know I, I'm born and raised here, uh, you know, have a lot of people that would be interested in hearing it. So I wouldn't even mind looking into that, but that's something that we can talk about. Yeah, for sure. Jason, it's been an absolute uh, pleasure from the moment Bruce sent me the text. Uh, I was I was really excited. Like I said, it's not every day that you talk to the man that has the first bionic arms, you know, like it's pretty cool. I'm geeking out on a little bit, but just yeah. you taking the time to do it. I really do appreciate it. Oh, absolutely, man. I, yeah. I'm glad that, uh, Bruce made that connection. He texts me and he's like, man, you want to do this? I said, yeah, I'll do it for sure. So yeah, yeah and Bruce is a good dude. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, you know, just to put it in a simple terms, he's my boy. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't know him well. I haven't known him long, but I trust him as much as I trust anybody. I love the shit out of him. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But we really do appreciate it. Just appreciate you taking the time. And uh, I tell you what, uh, it's obviously, uh, or it's obvious that you put a great deal of effort into your deer hunting. So maybe leading up to this next deer season, let's connect. Uh, we won't even talk bionic arms. You can just tell us how to go kill some big whitetails. There you go. We can do that for sure. All right. Well, get lucky every now and then. Uh, hey, I, I'll, I'll take luck over skill any day of the week. <laughs> All right. Jason, you have a good one, brother. All right, man. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Horny Deer Sense podcast. I know you enjoyed and took a lot of things away from the conversation with Jason. I know I certainly did. Uh, check him out at uh jay koger 84 on instagram and he's also on facebook he's got a lot of really cool things going i'm sure you'll be seeing more of him as he gets his story out there thanks again y'all have a good rest of your week